1: Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat.
0: It is Wednesday, November 4th, 2020, and it is time, everyone, for me to declare that I am not president of the United States. In fact, I'm not even sure who's going to be, but I know this. Right now, I don't really care. I'm here to talk about Morning Combat. I'm here to help host it alongside the gentleman on the other side of the screen. He is my hetero life mate, The Conspiracy to My Theory. We are both from CBS Sports. It is the one and only BC Brian Campbell. How are you doing good, sir?
1: Dylan, you son of a bitch. Don't you dare try to talk about <laughs> me, Luke. You might be the most famous man in North America for at least these 48 hours right now. Fresh off the jet liner from the Joe Rogan bubble in Texas, congratulations my friend
0: thanks it was fun it was a good time we'll talk a little bit about it but we've also got a lot of the show to get to we've got bellator 251 tomorrow we've got some news and notes around social justice wednesday a lot of folks beefing on social media we'll talk about that are we doing fan art today as well i think we, we are. are
1: and it's also uh sorry to interrupt you in njw and no jay wednesday so a lot of people especially coming off of jay's close-up in your absence on monday a lot of people looking forward to today's show
0: how was Jay's monotone uh, delivery of bad zingers on Monday?
1: It's very similar to his music career. Uh, it's interesting, you know. There was a lot of, <laughs> a lot of instant reaction to never show this man again. Uh, he's jump. We have jumped the shark with him in your face. But, but just like the election, a lot of late mail in votes coming in. Hey, there's a there's a connection. There's a type of person out there. There's someone for everyone, Luke, who really enjoyed. You know, the the, uh, the alternative, which was Jay on this on this occasion to what you bring to the table.
0: All right. Well, I watched some of it. Uh, you know, the thing about Jay is off the air, he's much more hilarious. And then on the air, he turns into the most boring man alive. And then I saw, I mean, you guys really gave him the star treatment because you played some of his like right. I mean, I'm not days. sure what to tell you. Figure out a solution. Although if you need some sound to uh, sand to pound Home Depot, Home Depot is a wonderful place to buy some sand.
1: Well, I'm Um, sure throwing weights around your front yard will turn that grass into sand uh, pretty soon. So it it would be my dream in life, by the way, to uh, keep walking and not stop when you're out there and your wife beater. But uh, uh, yeah, Luke, I think you nailed all the the big hits there. Uh, I don't have to sell anything else, right? We're good?
0: No, no. So we wanted to do a sort of a quick reaction to um, the past couple of days and then over the weekend. I don't have a whole lot to say about the over the weekend that didn't get said. You guys, I thought, did a pretty good job of covering it. In my absence, pretty pretty um, pretty, pretty you good. know, I just thought quickly with Gervonta, Um, you know, that's probably on the boxing side for me the knockout of the year. I'm not really sure what would go ahead of that one. People there's keep talking two. about it's the...
1: there's two in the conversation. Would you let me tell you what they are? Beyond this one in Pavetkin? It's Povekin with the left uppercut against Dillian White, and it's Jose Zepeda in that knockdown fest against Ivan Baranchik when he hit him with that two piece to send him, you know, under the ring. Those two left hands are in the discussion right now, unless I'm forgetting something that happened in like Ethiopia before the pandemic. Um, this upper, this left uppercut from from Gervonta, which oh by the way, Luke. Uh, you can replay, you can watch this pay-per-view in full Saturday night when the replay hits regular showtime, so that's a little bit more incentive to get that 30-day trial to uh, see this in full, but good Lord, Luke, taking souls with that shit. Oh my uh, God, right? Yeah,
0: we did We did an immediate post-fight uh, hit on CBS Sports HQ about it, and uh, we were both, you know, my point was, who has done this to Leo Santa Cruz? Like, nobody. Nobody. <laughs> Nobody has sat him down in this kind of a way, um, or even even close, really. I think we got knocked down, what, one time previously in his near 40 fight career, and then he gets hit with this shot. You know, it's just in- absolutely incredible. And,
1: and by the way, the one knockdown Santa Cruz had, which was 2009, the referee apologized afterwards and said, that wasn't a knockdown. I blew it. So there you go, Luke. All
2: right.
0: Uh, and also, I pointed this out when I did Rogan's show yesterday, or was it yesterday? Jesus, like the world is just sort of zooming past me. Two days ago. Uh, Not, a big was,
1: Not a big deal. It's all right. I mean, one day this well, week it happens. If you actually
0: look at Gervonta, he's left-handed, but he's standing square, and then when he throws the left uppercut, he slips it, but he's standing. This is my left hand. He stands this way forward. So he actually hit him with the left uppercut as a lead hand, even though it's his uh, typically his rear hand in his stance. So it's kind of an interesting little adaptation he, he threw in there. I thought that was really nice from him, and that was great. I thought, you know, dude. here's what I came away with. that I mean, 135 in MMA – 135 in boxing, shit, man. That, that weight class just across both combat sports, it is on fire. Even Ryan Garcia, he did an interview with somebody, and he was like, it's me, it's Teofimo, it's Devin Haney, and he even said, Gervonta, it's the four of us. And
1: Shakur is four- coming. Shakur Shakur's Stevenson's coming. coming. Yeah, and coming. the
0: four horsemen of the boxing apocalypse. 135 is like the sweet spot of combat sports right now.
1: It is. And then, you know, obviously you still have Lomachenko lingering in boxing. uh, But just the fact that you have those five sort of pillars of the future in boxing, you know, really, the five biggest potential guys who have next are all 25 and under, and they all are right in and around 135. It's a special time, Luke. And I don't even want to talk about, like, well, how much will politics get in the way, even though it's a very realistic thing? If these guys keep winning, if these guys are actually willing to be the new generation that calls each other out and says, Hey, promoter and network provider, I don't care. I don't care. You got to make this happen or I'm going to be unhappy. That's how you make the fights happen because it'll be a damn shame if we go another year and these five don't end up finding a way to fight each other. We got to figure this out, right? This is going to be what a time to be alive.
0: It's a good problem to have. I hope it's one that can be solved. Um, on the and by the way, that whole Showtime card, they had only seen. There was a total of not even sixteen. Uh, what round? What round did the fight end in? The sixth or the seventh for the main I event? The Between, sixth. Okay, so there was basically less than sixteen rounds across four fights, because you had a first round stoppage. Then I think you had like a third round stoppage. Then a f- somewhere five or six. Yeah, around that. And then another five or six. But again, it didn't even finish out whatever round it was in. It was only like halfway through. Just knockout after knockout after knockout after knockout. You really, you know, sometimes on MMA Inboxing, it doesn't matter. You, know, you plunk down your 65, your 75, whatever it ends up being. And you're like, you know what? I mean, it made sense to buy it, but in the end, it maybe didn't deliver. Jesus, you got your money's worth with, with this one times 10. That was an amazing, amazing oh, It was a great card. And
1: by the way, uh, Ruguru, our guy, Regis Progre, even though he missed weight, he sent Juan this to, uh, to you know, beyond the left field fence. That was a hell of a performance. And uh, I don't know if you saw the follow up, Luke, where Adrian Broner ha- uh, was arrested for contempt of court and-, and taken away for a short period. And you saw Ruguru hitting the uh, social medias and going, "Damn, you took away my payday right there." He wants AB in a big way. Uh, I can't wait. I can't wait. I love Ruguru in this PBC mix. It should be fun. I wanted to talk to you real quick. Just kind of surmising, Javante in this lightweight picture and tell you the importance it plays. I think that's the knockout of the year. I think Gervonta will will probably end up winning that. Uh, you know, there's a pay to one probably the fight of the year. But if Ryan Garcia beats Luke Campbell later this year, which is a real big step-up opportunity for him, can't wait to see it, you know, he could get votes for breakout fighter of the year or whatever that award is. But do you believe in an odd-ass, weird year, 2020, the quarantine, most big-name fighters will only appear one time, so it'll change the way we typically look at the year-end awards? Is Teofimo Lopez the front runner for Fighter of the Year off of one fight, which is which is probably the most important win this you know this calendar year? Obviously, probably. Tyson Fury beat Wilder and beat the brakes off of him. And if Tyson Fury gets a second fight in December against whomever, it's going to be a debate. But do you think a guy can win it with one win? And is the, and is that enough in your eyes?
0: I mean, it's not. It shouldn't be. I mean, you should have multiple fights in a campaign to get it. But that's a little bit harder to do in boxing than it is in MMA for all the reasons we've articulated. And beyond that, to beat the guy you beat, given the expectation to have that many titles afterwards, right, as a consequence of sort of so this unification process, uh, I think you would be. I mean, who had a better year, even through multiple wins, than that? Like, who accumulated that kind of a trophy case By the end of it, I mean, it's pretty remarkable what he was able to do in one fell swoop. So it's a very strange year for the reasons you articulated, but that's such a standout victory and it's such a grown man performance and it's such a step up from what he had been doing, even though what he'd been doing was pretty interesting. I don't know how you give it to anybody else. Yeah, I
1: don't think anyone in modern history has ever won it off one win. The closest was 2015 when Floyd won it for the Manny Pacquiao win, and then a lot of people looked at the Andre Berto win, which was the second that year, as kind of a throwaway, uh, you know, a goodbye victory. But, look, uh, Tyson Fury is going to be in this discussion. If Danny Garcia upsets Errol Spence, you know, coming off already beating Redcoats this year, he could be in the discussion as well. Uh, We'll save that toward the end of the year when both boxing and MMA awards. there would be some pretty heated debates given this uh, weirdness to this year all together. A quick little plug here, Luke. Okay. Morning Combat, you know, is always hitting you right between the legs, right? With that fist, turning it in if we have to, to give you the three live shows per week, to give you the expected bonus shows when technology allows with the Luke Thomas live chat. Sometimes we dissect things. Sometimes, Luke, I don't know if we are anymore. We can get down to that in the future. But then we got interviews. So people can go right now and, of course, check out, uh, My interview on Morning Combat with Corey Anderson, who's in Bellator's Thursday Night Main Event, making his debut. My interview with Kel Brook, which just launched. He's going to be fighting Terrence Crawford for the welterweight title a week from now. And Luke, I don't want to say the names now because you don't want to jinx yourself, but our guest list for the rest of the week, it's getting pretty good. It's pretty good. So we'll see what
0: happens with that. Uh, Very quickly on the MMA side of things, if I may, we see Again, you guys really did a good job with this on Monday. I won't belabor the point. I thought, um, you know, I disagree with Dana a little bit about the nature of anderson silva continuing it's it's not that i you know the the decline is just beyond obvious when you're getting sat down with the same punch more or less that you sat down forrest griffin with in one of your most spectacular and frankly iconic wins you know there is a bit of a full circle moment there that you have to really kind of accept and understand and so um listen does he should, should he be fighting the very top guys in the world probably not do I really think he should be fighting at 45 years of age? Even then, probably not. But do I think he doesn't, he should lose his license or something. I don't think we're at, we're not at Chuck Liddell territory in that way. I don't think we're necessarily all that far apart either given at 45 your, de- your rapidly declining ability to absorb punishment will, will just continue pretty quickly. Still, if he were able to go to Bellator somehow and he were able to uh, get a fight and they a match made him, whatever the word is, appropriately, I don't think it'd be that big a deal. The one thing I really took issue with, BC, I wonder where you are on this, which is Dana White says something like, you know, I, he, we, he should never fight, never fight in his organization again. I'm like, you let Penn go on a lot longer and you put on CM Punk fights, like,
1: yeah, you know, you, uh, I, underst- you put I understand on James Tony when he was already yeah. washed out of boxing, and you're just gonna, I mean, yeah, that, that part was a little crass and unnecessary. Hold on, but let, but- me,
0: let, let me make the point here because this is the, or the question to you, rather, which is here's the thing that kind of got me, and I don't know that I have the right answer, but I did not feel comfortable with Dana's, which was when Dana was like, he's got one fight left with us. Now, we don't know what the situation is, but let's assume Dana is telling the truth there. There is one fight left. Can you just, as a promoter, decide you're just not going to give that guy that fight? Now, if they don't, they do have to pay him, right? Because they've often said, if we owe you a fight and we don't like actually come to you with an offer, you know, we have to pay you for that. So he'll get paid for it. But if he gets paid for it, and he, that's still not enough to release him off the books, like they can just hold the guy as long as they want. A, doesn't that say a lot about contracts? And B, I understand is, what he's trying to do, but th- is that really the promoter's job? To decide when a guy has had enough, you you can decide when he's had enough in your organization, but really that falls in the commission, doesn't it?
1: It does. If it, it does, but the commission standards these days, Luke. I mean, come on. I mean, look, I got pumped up for it, but we saw Ken Shamrock and hoist Gracie each above fifty fight under the Bellator banner. We saw Kimbo Slice and Dada probably not in suitable health, as we found out in that uh, first guy to have a heart attack loses match. Uh, we've seen <laughs> other situations. Uh, I I, look, I just didn't like taking the extra deuce on top of like Anderson lost this. He probably should retire, but he, he had that emotional moment with the Uriah and you know, it got a little too gooey, but I, I I popped for it. And you know, the, this is where the, the lack of crowds hurts because here's what really should happen. The UFC should set up a proper send off for Anderson suitably bill it as that, put it in Brazil, have a crowd there and, and seriously give him, uh, you know, another wash name Somebody, give him another Brazilian. You know what I'm saying? Give him a Demian Maya, or maybe you know, give him somebody who you're just like, look, go out there, man. Show us you're fighting hard, and and whatever happens, we're gonna love you on the way out. We got a bastardized version of that that was sort of last minute shoved in there and given the label of his last one, and it's a it's a product of the pandemic, but. At this point, I think Dana's gone too far, meaning when he said, look, I regret doing this, this was embarrassing, like, you've gone too far now, I think you just have to cut him, give him his release, and then right. it's up to him. I don't think, you know, from a from a competition standpoint, I don't think someone like a Bellator, who I think rightfully, if, if Anderson Silva went free, again, he's not losing in Chuck Liddell manner. What we don't want to see him do is keep fighting suitable Derek Brunson types who can who can knock him out you know I mean he'd be barely beat Brunson but you get my point Cannonier finished him Uriah Hall finished him if he wanted to go fight a Machida or or, or I mean Fedor in a spooky fight or, or whatever dude in Bellator I don't think that's doing as much business where Dana White would be regretting it you know I could have had that business under my banner no you went public and said you're done let him go Let him go. He's going to do what he wants. Look, BJ Penn's still finding fights outside of strip clubs, all right? Whether you're going to pay him or not. So people are going to do what they're going to do, Luke, all right?
0: Outside the lava shack. Yeah. I mean, you have to ask yourself a question. It's like, what is the promoter, even under humanitarian grounds, what is he allowed to do? And I just feel like, again, I'm not sure what the answer is in terms of the contract with the UFC, because this is sort of a weird situation but I would not want to live in a world where the promoter could just decide they could keep a guy hostage because paternalistically they were looking out for his best interest. And I do think they are. I think they feel like they're doing the right thing for him. But that's not ultimately what the promoter can decide. They can only decide what's best for the organization and to what extent doing business with any individual fighter serves those interests or not. And so and and what look, what let's be honest. To.
1: The second CM Punk fight in UFC should have never happened, right? The first fight was an experiment. It failed miserably. We are in the elite promotional business. It's a long way since we used to say, what if Wesley Snipes fought Joe Rogan in the UFC? And it almost happened, right? That was like 2007. We're a long way from that. I think that was, again, Dana going, well, Phil still wants to fight. I don't want it to happen over at, uh, in Bellator, so I'm going to do it one more time. You already learned the lesson. Let it go. Have high standards. You're the damn UFC. When people don't meet those standards anymore, I don't care where they go. Thank you. Um, I, that, it, that, my name is Brian Campbell, and I approve this message. Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, last but not least, I got to spend, uh, wow, three and a half hours. I was shocked at the time. Um, with Mr. Joe Rogan, UFC commentator, podcaster extraordinaire. I flew. Yeah, I got
1: questions. I got questions, Luke. Let well, me just
0: you. set it up very quickly. I flew down to uh Austin, Texas, which is where the studios are, and uh, I got to sit down with him, and we got tested, and we talked, and the whole nine yards, and I got to see everything. And uh, I got to tell you, BC, people, from what I can tell, maybe I'm reading all the wrong things, but. People seem to have thought it went well. He gave me more time than he gave Kanye, which I was very happy to see. And uh, I think I'm going to get, in terms of views, I'm not well known and I'm going to get trampled by the election coverage a little bit, but uh, it's still, you know, I'm still delighted for the opportunity. It was actually a lot of fun and uh, I was pretty, I won't say drunk by the end of it, but my head was, it was like, uh, it was like what Clips say, right? Um, Her head spinning and my head spinning. Uh, mine from juice and gin and hers from neck and chin. And I'm a winner, man. That kind of thing. Wow.
1: Wow. Dropping bars here. Uh, <laughs> look, congratulate. Look, it's, it's obviously a, it's a huge respectful honor. And, and that's like, cause you worked hard. You, you worked hard to establish yourself separately. That's why I didn't want you going in there. Oh, by the way, with like, not that you would anyway, with like, here's all my morning combat merch. Here's my uh, CBS gold watch. Don't forget who I am now. No, you built yourself. <laughs> And, by the way, nice shout-out to all your colleagues on this show. Oh, wait, there wasn't one. And I was actually happy with that. There was one.
0: I gave you one, as a matter of fact, fuckface.
1: No, you were like my my co-host on that show I do. But, look, look, the whole point of that is not to make jokes or feel bad. Like, this was about you building a unique voice, doing it on your own. We always joke back and forth. You're not going to let any corporation decide your future. You're going to buy your own equipment People respect the takes, the efforts you go to research these. And I think you hit a big home run. I think you went out on there in a in a you know a pressure-filled situation. It's like one of the biggest podcasts on earth. And you kept a conversation going for three and a half hours. And you didn't do just that, Luke, okay? You didn't just entertain us. You didn't just represent yourself well and the sport well, even while tiptoeing some some controversial topics. I thought you did well with the whole uh USADA and all that. But most importantly, you turn Joe Rogan into Flavor Flav. You turn damn Joe Rogan into your own Big Brown. You'd be like, man, that, that guy's fucking insane. He'd be like, yeah, he's really insane. And then two seconds later, you'd be like, man, how fucking great's that guy? And Joe's like... Man, he's fucking great. And I was like these guys are banging. You're not seeing the, you know, you're not seeing the 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 finish of the transaction, but they're conversely banging right now. So, congratulations for sleeping with Joe Rogan orally. It was it was a great listen.
0: Okay, I hadn't thought of it on those terms, but I guess that's one way to look at it if your brain is damaged. Nevertheless, right, uh, uh,
1: did you did you sample what Austin has to give you? The food, the music, the weirdness, or was this just Plane dropped you off at the Joe Rogan stable, and you were out of there.
0: That more or less that. So I took a, I flew in Sunday night, and uh, he gave me the address of the studio. So I wanted to make sure the hotel I stayed in was pretty close to it. And so I tried to find some place that was like close to the studios, but not too far from the airport, which I was. I managed to do. In fact, uh, my hotel was very, very close to the studios. So um, we had to be there at 1230 local time. I got up, you know, studied some stuff that I wanted to make sure I had good notes on. Went over there, got there early, got tested. And by the time I got out, it was like 530 at night, you know, because he was a little bit late. So it just went on and on and on. And at that point, I hadn't eaten. I had had like a I had barely eaten anything all day and I drank all that whiskey. And so I went back to my hotel. (laughs) This is true. I left half of it there. I don't think I ate. I don't think I ate over two days, 15% of it. I ordered like $40 worth of Taco Bell (laughs) on Uber Eats. And they brought this giant bag of fucking food. And when I finally got it, I kept pulling food out. I'm like, how am I? I'm not going to eat I'm not going to eat any of this. How am I going to eat all this? I think I had like two burritos and a taco. And then slept in my room early that night and then got up and flew on a bird the next day and then that was it. Yeah. And you I probably like-
1: slept so gross, pantsless, meat 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 hanging on your meat curtains. That must have been great. Uh Luke, I do have questions though. You know, given yeah. Jay given Jay Aron's, you know, detailed mixed martial arts past, his jujitsu training under Uriah Hall, you met Jamie, I assume. Can can Jay take Jamie on the mats, you think?
0: Jamie has giant feet. He must have a size 15 or 16 shoe. He has enormous, enormous feet. And I look down, he he was sitting at the desk. You walk in and then Jamie sits here and then there's like filing cabinets here. And the studio is right in front of you. And I look over and I see his feet and I'm like, and dude, by the way, you ever seen those like brand new Macs that are like 20 grand to start the Mac tower. He, they've got three of them. Each of them fifty thousand dollars. I was like, oh, Jesus. Anyway, I saw his feet over there. I was like, Holy shit, man! I didn't know you. Uh, you know, you did stand up paddleboarding on the way to work. Fucking a! Look at those things. He must. I'm telling you, had the biggest feet. He's kind of tall, but he looked like very nice guy. A little bit what? of a. You know, he had the vibe of the dude who did the who rode on the on the skateboard drinking the cranberry juice. Yeah, remember this guy who went viral. He's got a bit of that vibe. You know what I'm saying? So uh, Jay probably could not take him.
1: Well, I love the way you just popped for that Mac Tower. Anybody that doesn't know Luke and haven't hung out with him, like you ever been in a room with like legit alpha males, like A plus alpha males. And when a hot chick walks in, doesn't matter who she is, what the situation is, whether their wife and family are watching, they 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 congregate right there. And it's like flies on the, the damn light thing. Luke, when you enter a room and there's cameras and nerdy, nerdy cameramen and, and like Johnson Rods and all this weird stuff, you're like, is that the Z6 2800 there? I got the same thing in my studio. It's it's, inter- it's an interesting character study here. But, Luke, I'm not here to insult you. I want to celebrate this Rogan thing. Um, a lot shorter in person than you'd think. It's pretty short. Yeah, he's
0: not, he's not very tall, but he is muscly. You know, you put your hand on his back to take the picture. You could feel the trap, you know, protruding out of his back. It was funny. He had a couple. He had uh, he had like two or three security guys and they were all muscly. They were they were fucking. Oh, yeah. They were not to be trifled with. And, you know, I, I'm guessing it's Texas. I, I mean, they, they were, first of all, they were very friendly. I mean, they were, everyone was very, very friendly. But, you know, if someone wanted to get sideways with them, not me, somebody else. They were well, super. Well, Joe's got a up. spinning
1: back siever that's pretty nasty too. I'm sure he could take people out if he had to. Well, they, they would have
0: to get through these fucking gorillas first. Let me put it that way. So, but in the end, everyone was very friendly. The security guys were friendly. The testing people were very friendly. Jamie's friendly. Jo- uh, Joe's friendly. Like it was really a very positive experience, and uh, I got to eat a couple burrito- <laughs> burritos. <laughs> afterwards. You know, what can right. you really complain about? People like, you should go see downtown Austin and go look at the bats. And I was like, I'm kind of drunk and old, and I'm just going to have some
1: burritos. So that's it. Austin's an incredible city. Um, Luke, final question. The most important one here. And again, shout out, dude, because this could blow up your shit. You don't know what's going to happen. This is there. All corners of the earth seem to watch this show or listen to it. What was your phone like? I mean, look, you got oh. home before it aired. So after it aired, after it had its it got thrown against the wall. Did you get any surprise people reaching out to you, DMing you? Anything? Yeah. Anything stick out?
0: Yeah, I had some. Uh, I won't say any names, but I had I had uh, I had some old friends I hadn't heard from in a while. Um, some of my family members were kind of impressed. Um, no exes reached out, which I was very happy about. You know, uh, that's funny because
1: on. all your exes do live in Texas,
0: Luke. You know? Yes, they. Yes, like George Straight. Um, a couple of you know, a lot of folks inside MMA reached out, some, some managers reached out, you know, they, they sort of took inventory of it. Um, but when my you say phone managers, I, I had do you I had t- you I mean- had twenty I had twenty seven messages on WhatsApp, I had a dozen on text, I had, you know, a page of emails, like it's been it's been pretty crazy.
1: Congratulations. And I hope the manager of the stars, the biggest one of all, I hope Ali Abdelaziz reached out to you. I hope that was the case. I'll
0: just say lots of them did. So, uh, but yeah, it was great. Everyone who hasn't watched, check it out. We've posted it everywhere. It's not hard to find. And uh, feedback is welcome. All right. With that in mind, BC, let's move on now. Back to business between you and I. Bellator, 251. Is manana good, sir? Uh, We did the weigh-ins today, you and I, on CBS Sports HQ. They went all quite professional. Corey Anderson makes his debut for Bellator, and he takes on Melvin Manhoof. Now, BC, this was my point on CBS Sports HQ, which is, first of all, I'm not sure Melvin should be fighting, although the good news is he has said he's only got one or two left, and he's going to be done. He's 44 years of age. Also, this fight's going to be at 205, when really I think Melvin's better suited for 185. Be that as it may... This is not a fight that Corey should lose. He said he was happy that there was no audience because he can hear his corner so he can get his instructions. No problem. He's really excited about that. He's got an opponent who should not be able to withstand his pressure when it comes to takedowns. And he's younger. He is ranked higher. For all those reasons, he should sail. So what is it? Is he going to like meet opportunity here? Or is it so many things that shouldn't trip him up? Surely the MMA gods will trip him up.
1: No, no, Corey Anderson should cut right through him. Wrestle, ground and pound, use the aggression, use the size, use the fact that, like you said, Manhoff's dangerous as balls. And he really is. Like, you know, he's on a two-fight win streak. He's fought everyone. He's got sent to hell. He's sent many more to hell. If Anderson Fs around, Manhoff can get him out of there. But, you know, you'll, you'll hear a lot of this if you watch the Morning Combat interview I did with him. It's been a crazy year for Corey Anderson. And he's learned a lot about himself in... Not just getting out of the UFC deal and finally getting paid and, and getting the respect he feels that he never got with the UFC, and not just surviving that health scare, Luke, that you know we didn't really know about at all the first half of this year until he finally posted on Instagram about it how he a week after getting knocked out by Blohowitz, he fell, got a bad concussion, screwed up his face, had heart issues, was bouncing around hospitals, didn't know if he was gonna fight again. He felt his biggest takeaway in that was that he stopped being himself his last four or five fights in UFC and, and started to be, and this is in his own words, what the UFC wanted him to be. And what I took from that, Luke, was he was playing the system. He used to go into fights looking to just win, not hurt anybody, and, and cash the check and move on. He was starting to play that game, and I think you saw it come out when he accosted John Jones publicly at that New Jersey card show, which was humorous, that he was starting to do the trash talk game. He was starting to go in there like the Johnny Walker fight, which, which turned out well for him, trying to hurt people. And that's not who he is and who he's about so he feels he got a wake up call, you know, from above in that. You obviously you can take that, you know, with what it's worth in your own eyes, but he's only 31.
0: I know. I think he has so uh we crazy. know he's got
1: a we know he's got a potential shorter path to the title in Bellator even though I do like their light heavyweight division a lot right now. He was pretty close in UFC with that four-fight win streak, then got knocked out. But he's got an opportunity to reinvent himself and do it in a manner where he's very happy. And this is not the first guy who's left UFC and just said, look, that rat race is not for me. I want to do it here. Bader's been very happy. A lot of guys. I think Corey Anderson is going to thrive here. I think the end game potential of him and Vadim Nemkov, it, you know, it could be a very good fight as well as could be. Corey against anyone from Bader to, to Musashi to Machida and all that. But just in this fight, no. The odds really tell you a 4-1 underdog manhoff, He should be on his back for three rounds and he should lose cleanly and clearly. I don't expect it to be extra exciting. I do expect for Corey Anderson, though, to reinvent himself and be happy with what he sees Thursday night, 7 p.m. Eastern on the CBS Sports Network.
0: I'll say this, though. I mean, should it even go three rounds? I, I mean, I don't mean to dismiss... But if you're Corey Anderson and you're thinking about the upper bound limits of his ability, he should be able to get the takedown without too much issue. He should be able to pass, not all the way, but like let's say to half guard or some other kind of comfortable position. He should be able to put him away with strikes on the ground. Now on the on the feet, that's where things could get a little bit dicey, even at 44 years of age. I'll say this, I'm not going to call it a failure or something if Anderson goes three rounds, I don't think it's that kind of a mismatch exactly. But I will say that, you know, if you want to go in there and make me believe that you have a chance against Vadim Nemkov. Like if someone told me if Vadim Nemkov is going to fight Manhof, I would expect Vadim Nemkov to put Manhoff away. On the ground or the feet, quite candidly. Corey Anderson needs to do something like that. So 10-8 rounds at a bare minimum. Again, just to prove to me that, like, because here's the thing. I mean, we talked about it. Is Vadim Nemkov the best light heavyweight in the world? I don't know, but I would put him on the short list at a bare minimum. If Corey Anderson is able to look good against Melvin Manhoff, get the win, and whether it's next or it's down the line, get a fight against Vadim Nemkov, and then he beats him, you have a plausible claim at that point, at least for insiders, not for outsiders, but for insiders to say, you're the best light heavyweight on earth. And I just feel like you want to make that case. You really want to you want to prove to us that this is the thing we should take seriously, for your chances anyway, you got to go in there and put it on him. You really should, especially given some of that strength differential. So I'm looking for BC personally. I don't know what the odds are for this. Uh, I know that obviously Corey is favored to win. I'm I'm looking for him to stop him inside too. I think that's sort of what I'm expecting.
1: It's certainly in play. I I just think uh, with everything that Corey's trying to be now, which is no stress, no extra stuff, not worry about the money, not worry about the fans, not worry about the expectations, only worry about... That W, Luke, is this a W? The, the only worry, Luke, about that W, right? I'm not talking about the '04 4 election. If he, if he does that, you know, he may end up getting a decision here. It, it depends on the fight Manhoof's going to put on the ground. But, look, this fight is about projection for the future. Obviously, it'd be better if he comes out there, puts him away, and then we're like, man, maybe Scott Coker should make that nemcall fight next, and, you know, we'll see how that all plays out. Um, is there anything else on this card? That that is tickling your fancy at all, Luke?
0: Not a ton. Uh, Georgie Carcanian's on it, which is fun. He's always good for a tough fight. The one that's kind of interesting—you got Ty- Tyrell Fortune coming back. Um, still have an elite prospect. Still, we'll see about his development. The one thing well, he I got, got sent it,
1: to hell, Luke, by Timothy Johnson for I know, his first I know. loss.
0: So he's got he's got some work to do to get back where he was. But the one thing that's kind of interesting is Austin Vanderford is on this. This is the husband of Paige VanZant. He's taking on Vinicius de. de well, I I don't know how you pronounce it in Portuguese. It'd be De Jesus in Spanish. Is it De Jesus? I don't know. No, I don't know no, how you say it's it. De.
1: Hey, look, some people. So, so I prefer Apple. Other people like Manzana. Uh, it's De Jesus, Luke. Okay.
0: All right. Well, I, again, I don't know how to speak Portuguese, but. I'll, I'll just say, Vanderfort, for folks who mean I realize, I mean, the guy is undefeated. He had an undefeated amateur run. He's undefeated in the pros. Um, he's been off for a little while because of the pandemic. It's not been kind to a lot of fighters, but here he is back. He's been maintaining a little bit of, a little bit of activity in the grappling scene, and even then he got some pretty decent wins along the way. He's a very good fighter, and this guy he's fighting, um, Jesus, he is not the best opponent I've ever seen, but he's far from the worst. In fact, his only two losses – were to other top prospects, including Joaquin Buckley along the way, and that was only a split decision. So, like, he's a pretty credible competitor, and I feel like this is – I would call it not a step-up fight, but also not stay busy, BC. Something a little bit in between.
1: It's not bad, and it could have been worse because this was a late replacement due to his original opponent. I think his name was Chris Curtis getting COVID just the other day. And, of course, we know Vanderford had COVID. He had another opponent pull out earlier. I mean, he's been off for a while. You said he's, he's won everywhere. I mean, he did take an L in that tattoo chair, unfortunately, with the, with the all-seeing Adam's apple he's got going on. But, no, look, legitimately... He's, he looks legit. You you know, whether you, you like him or don't like him because of some of the things that he's affiliated with outside the cage, like tattoos and PVZ, he looks legit. So uh, the Bellator middleweight division is not as deep as some of their other ones. I think this is a good opportunity for him to make a big statement. I also like Derek Anderson's reformed a bit at welterweight. He's 4-1 in his last five. He looked exceptional on the scales, Luke. He's going to be going there against a... Um, a, a decent looking Brazilian fighter. His name is, uh, Mota. Uh, what is it? Ki- Kilius Mota? Who uh, is 11 and two just coming off a win in his Bellator debut. But, um, I like everything Anderson said of building up to this fight. Like he was already supposed to show us at welterweight who he was. He had a pull out of the MVP fight. And then he had, uh, Paul Daly pull out of fights against him twice in the last two years. So he's really looking Derek Anderson just to make a big statement. I know we've seen him in some lightweight big fights in recent years, but, uh, couple names to watch there, uh, as we said. Not, not, not too deep a card, but I can't hate on the 7 Eastern start time on a Thursday no. night, Luke. I'm Love done that. I'm done
0: Be that. done by around 9 p.m. East Coast time. That's great. Um, yeah, all check right. out the
1: prelims, by the way, beginning at, I think, 4.45 p.m. on Yep. Thank you. Uh, that's, all, that's all I'm trying to sell you this week. That's it, okay? Buy my merch. Thank you.
0: Plenty of sales. And then last but not least, for topic number three, I kind of changed the order here, but apologies to the folks on the production side. But uh, the question about the Ultimate Fighter, apparently it is back. They had a big uh, announcement for it at the Spider and Hall uh, card. Let me say something upfront about this. So, the question for UBC is who should coach it? Let me say something upfront about the Ultimate Fighter. I am not going to watch it, I just don't care. But there's a lot of things I don't watch that are perfectly good or that people like or that you may find good for you that would not necessarily be good for me. So,. When I tell you I'm not going to watch it, I don't say it like defiantly or as some kind of like taste maker. shouldn't you like what I like kind of situation. I'm just telling you I've seen there, I've seen it, I've been there, I've done it. It doesn't do anything for me. I will probably watch the fights, right? And I'm I'm guessing it's going to air either on ESPN's, on one of their smaller channels or on ESPN Plus. So that'll make fast forwarding, you know, relatively easily and that'll be fine. But however, in defense of The Ultimate Fighter, I understand why it's back. The regional scene is turned to a basic halt. This is some kind of way to keep a little bit of the very, very top end moving in terms of the UFC's recruitment process. Uh, Some folks still like it. There's enough of an audience there to still keep it going, especially if it's on a streaming platform where you're not taking up a lot of bandwidth for live television or for broadcast television anyway. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think that there is – it's low cost. You can do it pandemic Friendly, you know, with with uh, with uh, you know, uh making sure that everyone is quarantined, that kind of a thing. The only thing that gets me is in speaking about this coach, uh, you know, they're going to put someone on ice for month after month after month to make them be the coaches of this thing, and then we have to watch the fight on a delay, w- other than what it could be were it not for the Ultimate Fighter. And in that sense, not not my favorite thing in the world.
1: Yeah, look, they they've got an opportunity here, though, meaning. We we we've called this thing dead a few times, and and I'm gonna be with you. I stopped watching a long time ago. In fact, you know the reason when I got sick of the whole like this is quasi real world, but not really. I think you know it hit a it hit a point early on, even where we're like, okay, we're kind of done with this reality formula. Even though obviously this show was different because you had the fighting element mixed in. Um, I came back like everyone else for the Kimbo heavyweight year when you also had Rashad against Rampage. I came back for the women's straw weights that time when it was sort of like, wow, the winners are going to be the champion. This is unique. We got a new set of set of fighters here. Um, I don't know what kind of gimmick they do, but but they're going to need to get me hooked. But you know how the easiest way to get people hooked, Luke, is get really big stars who don't like each other as the coaches. And here's why there's an important season, not just that they're bringing it back from the dead, that this is the first time they've got the UFC arm with it. So here's how you spice it up and make it big. Who likes each other the least among elite fighters that are also stars at this moment across the UFC besides Conor and Habib? Your answer is John Jones and Israel Adesanya. So, Luke, while you and I will be talking later in this show a little bit deeper on the whole idea of Adesanya against Blahowicz and the plus or minuses that come with that, if you're UFC and you want to make this thing bang... Why are you not going Izzy and John and, you know, sweetening the pot, whatever, for them to want to do this, push it on ESPN regular and really make this a big thing right now? Luke, it it seems like a no-brainer for me. It's not only a unique fight, but the whole hook of the fight... Outside of the fact that it's two great guys from separate weight classes, is that they're constantly killing each other on social media. Put that in a in a building. Get some really cheap paper cardboard doors, like the kind Rampage used to rip off with his bare hands, and just roll the dice, bro. Okay. Tell me why I'm wrong. Tell me anything, Luke. Okay. Don't let me be the last to know. Yeah. Right. Tell me.
0: I, I, my I ol- again, my you, only objection. I, I, it's not like I'm like I can't watch this and be like. Wow, the Mandalorian really should have had a different storyline here. Like, I really care about what happens on the show. <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't, I don't care. I don't. It, there was it, it used to be the case that, like, for folks who may not know, you know, Spike back in the day would mail MMA bloggers or uh, you know media folks episodes of each week's coming Ultimate Fighter, so you could write it and review it. And then as soon as it was over, when the embargo was over, you could publish it. I used to get uh, episodes mailed back when it was like really like what would happen on the show was the talk of the town, but it's not. And so what happens on the show and how guys interact and who they recruit, like, to me, this is all fine stuff. I'm not against it. It's just irrelevant to the larger stuff that I would prefer to pay attention to, so there's that. And then the only thing I really have a gripe is how it affects me. Like, what does it actually cost me as someone who's not really a viewer? It's just the delay in getting the fight you want because the coaches have to main event. You know, you had Adesanya... Uh, sitting there in Vegas, and then they have this announcement. Now, they didn't announce that Adesanya was going to be a coach, but I wonder if they might put Adesanya and Blahovich to get, maybe give Blahovich a little bit more of a profile or to do the same for Adesanya or... I, I, mean, I Again, I don't know. I don't know what they're planning to do. It's just that's my only gripe, is don't put something that could be made right now for very good and easy reasons. Don't make us wait if we don't have to.
1: I mean, you could also... Run out of Sonya into Blahow, it's quicker. Like make that fight happen now, Luke, and then go right. Especially if Izzy wins, go right in to production of him and John. I don't know. You're right. You do sideline people, but you know you bring in city cock boxing into that. You can really get a good focus on what they're so, doing. There. Someone from and that they, team is.
0: Someone from that team is going to take issue with you doing that. I know you're mocking me, but for someone yeah. who doesn't know, it might sound like you're mocking them.
1: No, no. I love. I no. I have a lot of respect for all of those guys. So, um, yeah, but. I'm sliding in my DMs. Come at me. It's cool. Whatever. I'm like, Luke, is, is it not my job to make really bad jokes on the show? Is that not my job? Partly. Really?
0: Partly. I just don't really? want you getting more DMs from angry fighters who want to kill you. That's all. <laughs> uh, uh, Luke, that's it.
1: Can they, can they screw this up, though? Can they F it up so we don't care?
0: I mean, if you're, if you're ESPN, now they're in a better spot now because most of the sports are back, right? Isn't Pac-10 or Pac-12 coming back? Like this weekend or something, you got Oregon and all, and uh, and Stanford and all that stuff. So they're in a much better spot than they were before. But even then, if UFC comes to them and says, hey, we want to bring back the Ultimate Fighter, we want to put it on the, your platform, which I'm guessing on some level that's what's going to happen here, um, how do you lose? I mean, it's, you know, oh, what, more content that will probably do no, pretty well?
1: I think you lose if you put it on the plus only, my take. And if you put... Potentially non sexy coaches in there that, that aren't like I have like yeah. look, I, you're not going to get Connor most likely, but it, you need someone who you're like I just have to see what they're going to say and do right like I and I think John and Izzy have that it factor where I just want to see them coach. I just want to see them on the screen. They're entertaining. They're they're special. Uh, there are champions who aren't special. No disrespect, to Jan Blachowicz. I don't know if I want to see him coach, Luke. Okay.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure that I would do either. I mean, I I don't mind a mid range pull, but like John versus Izzy. I would mind that, you know, unless, unless they came out and said, all right, we're going to do John versus Jan. Excuse me. We're going to do John versus Jan. We're going to do Izzy versus Jan and assuming Izzy wins, which is no guarantee, but let's same that he does. Uh, then we'll make an ultimate fighter because you at least get to scratch the Izzy itch with whether or not he can get the second belt up front. And then it allows some time for rumination. He goes right into filming right after that. That would be I don't know if acceptable, but not the end of the world. It's if somehow he gets, oh, it could have been made on X month. Now to be made nine months later by virtue of this whole thing. I think that's the only time I'm going to be like.
1: All right. Final, know, final question. Would you accept? Don't get Luke Wednesdays. You could take your, your thing out and, and slap it against the screen. We, we control. I, this is my show, Luke. Okay, Luke, um, Colby versus Jorge. Would you accept that?
0: Yeah, because I don't think that gets in the way of the title picture. Sure, I'd accept that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you.
1: Now, put, right. put your thing back in. Thank you. Don't get so angry, Luke. You're always so mad. It's like I
0: know. That's how I live my life, BC. I uh, order $40 of Taco Bell and scream at people. That's what I do. All right, good friend. Uh, take it away. Time for the show to continue on your terms.
1: All right. Yeah, I don't know what that means. No, I do. It's SJW. It's a great new topic we have. There it is. There's your graphics. Social Justice Wednesdays. Let's bring in the Honorable Luke Bader Ginsburg That's right. to come on in and come on down. You're the next contestant on sorting out the latest social media beefs in combat sports and beyond if we find any uh, let's start here, Luke. Uh, we're out of order already, but uh, I guess we'll go with th- this order here. <laughs> uh, no, you're out of order. Uh, here's the deal. So the WBC tweeted out, how would Vitali Klitschko have done in this heavyweight era? He was called Dr. Iron Fist, and here's some highlights of him. You know, he's a Hall of Famer. He's great. He's the mayor of Kiev or something like that. But then Tyson Fury responded because, you know, he's an active twe- tweeter. Thank you. And he's like, I would have loved to kick his ass also because, of course, he outpointed Vladimir Klitschko in 2015 to win three heavyweight titles. And Vlad did not like this, Luke. He was back. He was back with a bang. Fans, sadly, it appears Tyson Fury is abusing his substances again. Whoa, bro. History shows he goes off the deep end with irrational, sexist, racist, racial statements. Truth is, Klitschko and his ass kick is fantasy for him. Klitschko and run, ran, or dodge the rematch is more accurate. Blah, blah, blah. Just something else, pal. Just say no, pal. So, Luke, here's the deal. Okay? Vlad hasn't fought since 2017 when he went life or death with Anthony Joshua in one of the the best, the best heavyweight fights of this era. Can we actually make this fight? Can we actually make Tyson Fury against Vladimir Klitschko for the lineal and WBC heavyweight championships, the rematch? Knowing, knowing, Luke, that Vladimir, I don't know if he had a bad night at of the office or he was just the wizardry of Fury disarmed him that night. It was a beautiful performance from Fury. But Vlad since then fought like a man against AJ. This actually could be a badass fight. True or false?
0: Uh, fuck that. First fight was not very good. I mean, it was good if you're a technical geek and you could appreciate some of the, you know, intricacies of uh, tactics and strategy. But if you're just sitting back, kicking your feet up, being like, I want some action. I want some fun. I want some fisticuffs. You got to go to the Klitschko, as you mentioned, the Joshua fight. You got a lot more of that. Each guy dropping the other one a gazillion times. Do I want to see a fight where Tyson Fury uses all the method of his skill to kind of, you know, work a jab around Klitschko? Fuck that. I don't care about that.
1: Well, Klitschko's mad because they never did get the rematch. They signed it. They did a press conference. Then Fury got fad, and then he went into that uh, that state of Bolivian, as Mike Tyson would say, where he did drugs and had depression and all that. (laughs) um the i don't Ava know i think it'd Morales. be fun Klisch goes in his early 40s he, he's in insanely good shape online and he also you know he broke apart with hayden panettiere luke so you know sometimes divorced men do their best art when they have something to prove right
0: she's on the market is that right
1: uh, it seems so i don't know what he's i don't know what he's tagging out there uh, but uh you know no comeback there from fury are you going to give the win to uh, to to vlad here
0: uh i'll give the online win to vlad because it was vicious enough but i don't care about seeing the fight i'll put it that way all right. so on right. the technical De- grounds judgment goes to the uh the d- defendant here
1: all right let's move on to the next chapter in uh in the social justice this week i have no idea which one's coming next oh here we go luke in e. in Shea response Smith. In response to everything Deontay Wilder put out when he broke his silence, we went over this on Monday, you and Joe Rogan went over it as well from the standpoint of him blaming everybody for his loss. He thinks Breland put stuff in his drink. He thinks we got all this problem. Retired former junior middleweight champion Ishe Smith, who is the realist. I love me. So, Ishe on Twitter, Uh, he wrote, this is an all-time low. Never have seen a fighter go this low. First, he followed the Glovegate cronies. Now he's saying Breland spiked the water. I'm done. One thing in common that many people say is that Mark is a class act. Unbelievable. It didn't stop there, Luke. Okay? He kept coming. All right? Can we keep going? Thank you. Uh, He said, if there was an egg weight inside the glove, as Wilder said, what's protecting Tyson Fury's hands and knuckles? That weight would do severe damage on impact every time a punch was landed. The wraps wouldn't be enough for protection. Next slide. Been in this game three decades. Never heard or seen an excuse as absurd as this one. I thought the costume was the worst. Boy, was I wrong. And I think we got one more. There's like a 10-tweet rampage here. Uh, He responded to somebody and said, keep making excuses for the most ridiculous excuses in the history of boxing. Not about me. I did everything I wanted in the sport. Blah, blah, blah. Never had one excuse. So before I bring it to you here, Luke. I'll give Vichay credit. He has no excuses. He wears his heart and life on his sleeve. Do you remember when he beat Cornelius Bundridge to win his world title? He became the first Vegas-born fighter in boxing history to win a belt. He sobbed deliriously on Showtime. I mean, this guy, he also was a Mayweather fighter who wasn't afraid to go at Mayweather publicly and, 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 and say when things were wrong. So he's the realist. But, Luke, the one counter I want to make for Wilder is this. Tell me if I'm crazy. A lot of people this week on Twitter did go back and look at history. while well, they're not the first to play the blame game. George Foreman blamed everything from the ropes to being drugged to everything in his loss to Muhammad Ali in the Rumble in the Jungle. Even Vlad Klitschko in the Fury loss had, a, had some weird blames publicly where he said, I think somebody put something in my drink. Antonio Tarver, when he lost to Bernard Hopkins, famously said he thought he was drugged. Are we making too much of this, or is this really some of the worst shit you've seen by an elite badass who just cannot take the L?
0: Um, Well, I've actually looked into this before. How many times has there been a proven case of somebody's drink being spiked in some kind of competition where they could test? There actually was a case out of Japan where a guy tested positive for something and uh, thought he was spiked. And was able to prove it, and it was a rival. It was for the canoeing team in the Olympics, and it was a rival canoeer who wanted him off the team so he could take his spot. And they were able to prove it because um, the guy had text messages that were threatening, and then they eventually, under questioning from this guy, they got him to admit it. So there are cases historically where it has happened. The problem with Deontay Wilder is one: it doesn't account for just the bad performance. Like you watch the technique. You know, the, you can say whatever you want about things that affected him, but there's just judgment issues that go along with how he was purposefully strategizing around the fight, number one. Number two, it wasn't like he came out and was like, here's what went wrong. He came out and was like, okay, it was the costume, and then some time passes, and then it's egg weights, and then some time passes, and then it's Breland, and then some time passes, or the glove thing. The glove thing, I don't even think he brought up. Someone like brought it up online in some, some kind of conspiracy And he went along with it. And it's like, there's this inability to just recognize, dude, you got this far because you have maybe one of the most devastating right straights and right crosses in all of boxing history. Uh, And that has been so devastating that even in fights where you were clearly behind, like in the Luis Ortiz rematch, you still were able to win no matter what. However, against a super elite technician in the way that Tyson Fury is, an underrated athlete as well. Uh, with a re-strategized, new training, you know, situation going on, this was just never going to be enough. There's just no acknowledgement of what you know. Occam's razor pretty cl- clearly tells you what it is. And when you, and here's what really gets you, BC, even if you wanted to say, is it plausible that some of these other things happen? And I do think if you had a big, heavy-ass um, costume, did it help you? Probably not. Probably didn't help you. Did you maybe, you know, um, uh, watch those videos and get suspicious? Maybe. Here's the thing about it. You dismissed from your team the guy who your own manager brought in as the voice of sanity and the high-level trainer. And the guy who saved you by throwing the towel, that's now the individual you are accusing of malfeasance. And the case I just told you about from Japan with the canoeer They had threatening messages from a guy who clearly had an incentive to take his spot. What the fuck is Mark Breland's incentive here other than to help out the fighter and do the job of the cornerman that he took, uh, you know, signed uh, a, a, a form and got a license to do? Nothing. He has no incentive. And in fact, for his actions, he was rewarded with unemployment and now being dragged through the mud. So none of the conspiracies carry much evidence nor does the narrative about why Breland would do this make any fucking sense at all you know I like Deontay Wilder as a person you and I've interviewed him a number of times he's a great interview I don't think he's a dumb guy but he could not have handled this loss worse
1: no he's handled it poorly and I and I you know ranted on Monday that I would have respected it more even though it looks bad when you make excuses again if the excuses were centered on his arm injury which was legitimate or the idea that fury's hand slit was purposely being slipped out of the glove which i don't know those videos tell me it's not impossible right it did happen once in the past but no in theory it's all bullshit but knowing now seeing so many people research and come back and be like uh guys we've been seeing excuse making on this level for a long time luke maybe that's just for some people how you protect that thing that needs to be there that core of invincibility that thing that no one can actually beat me straight up man to man they stole it they took it from me we all go into some look look you look you get fired tomorrow you'll probably be in some denial for a while you know you might be like man cbs sports never gave me a fair shake those bitch asses right no bro like you might i don't know it might be true it might not so um i think in some degree like, we can come out and say it was lame, but you can only push so far. Like, these guys, to, to go in there and be a heavyweight champion, you got to be a badass, right? Sometimes you may need to do this to continue the brainwashing that nothing has changed, you're still the same guy. When the truth is, he got his ass handed to him by Fury. Egg weights, slipped gloves, weird costumes, injured arms, or not. So, um, um I really wish they would have made this trilogy already because it's, it seems useless now for a while to say, I'm going to sue you to make this fight happen. If Aram and Fury are why, right that that window has closed, the only talking you can really do, Luke, is schedule another fight and knock somebody the hell out, right? That's the only talking left. And also,
0: Isha Smith has never made an excuse that I can remember for a loss in his career. And he's taken some, he's taken, you know, a lot of times he was trying to step up, and he couldn't do it against better opposition. I don't recall him going out and accusing people of poisoning him. So
1: Yeah, that's why when, when he's making these – like it's one thing for Keyboard Warrior BC to make that, but uh, Ishe making that. I mean, he's the real – dude, he was on the uh, first season of The Contender. Remember that class? Yeah, with the, of course. Sergio Mora, Peter Manfredo, and – uh, like uh, With the edited of- fights. Yes, like Mora, he made it all the way to the title. Love. We got one more for you this week, uh, Luke. This is a fantastic fight. I believe it's December fifth when the UFC gives us that bantamweight tilt. I don't know if it's official yet, but Piel Yan and Aljamain Sterling, Luke. What this is? A, this, if Jake Hager was here, we'd be talking about the phoners that we have underneath this desk. Correct. Yes. Yeah, rock hard with emotion over with emotion. this fight. Okay. Well, they're heating it up on Twitter. Here's Aljo saying, heading back home to beautiful Vegas. I'll be finishing up camp. I look forward to a beautifully violent battle with at Peter Jan UFC. I can assure you I will set a high pace and someone will have to consciously decide to break. Fair enough. And new. All that. Here comes Peotre, Luke. <laughs> Your, quote, high pace won't break nobody except yourself. Your strike's not precise or strong enough. When I will hit you, I will hurt you. When you go reaching for my legs, you will be lying, tanning, just like Askren. Wow, tanning <laughs> under those big lights, Luke. Yes.
0: God, poor is right. just getting uh, just torn up. He's not even doing anything.
1: Al Joe comes back. Just don't get taken down, brother. I know you're strong and won't tap, so you'll go to sleep. Leave your anchors. I'll leave you on crutches. Leave your arm or shoulder. You'll have trouble showering with one arm. Wow, we're getting pretty good here. You need to KO to win. I have a few ways to win. Good luck. Ooh, we got an interesting back and forth there at the uh, at the witness stand, Luke. Okay. Peyotre says, <laughs> go put your mask back on and shut up. Luke, that's a counter right hand right there, right?
0: I don't know who does this guy's, because I don't think he speaks English like this. I don't know who does this guy's social media. Tell you something, you take a swing at the king, you best not miss, because old Piotre, he will tear your ass
1: up. Well, Aljo came back with, I know you know I'm dangerous on the ground. That's why you went to Dagestan to wrestle. You punch with good power and falling over against guys who can't switch up. December 12th – oh, sorry, I had the date wrong. December 12th, you won't be able to guess what I'm do- going to hit you with. Keep training because I'm coming for you, which is a lot different than when after Aljo beat Corey Sanhagen, he said, Peotre, I'll be coming on you. <laughs> that did happen. That did is happen. It, is um, this, the, is this really- the end
0: here? No, not yet. Well,
1: then uh, a fan called Sterling a class act, and he said, Peter knows I'm a tough fight, and I know Piotre is a tough fight. At the end of the day, someone has to lose, and that's just the sport. Blah, blah, blah. That's all boring. Um, Yeah, there's more. It's all all kind of boring there, Luke. Uh, Basically, we end with, yeah, why you care what people think. And then Aljo goes, a real student of the game, becomes his opponent to understand the ways he can win. Good luck, safe flight, and see you soon. I'll bring bears to your room, and we can talk about how I did it. So, Luke, that's the end of it. Um, Who won the war online? And are you feeling any direction on who's going to win this fight? Because I love the shit out of this one. Yeah, that fight is fantastic. And i I, I tell you I'm what. I'm going to go with Piotr. Piotr. Uh, because his zings are just,
0: you know, a thing of beauty. However, however, I will say, in my defense of Aljo, I like how much confidence he has. You know, I like that he's coming in there and understanding he's up for a challenge, and that this is MMA, and lots of things could go wrong. And in fact, maybe they will. You never know. But this is the most I've ever seen Aljamain really believe that not only can he win a fight, of course. But it's more than just a fight. You see, as you know, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to claim a title in one of the, not the marquee division in terms of what the casual fans know, but as maybe the best division in MMA, certainly one of the most entertaining, one of the most difficult by any uh, measurement. And I think at this point, he really believes he's ready to seize that opportunity. He's been confident to win fights, but was he confident enough to say, I'm the best Vance winner on earth? Now, now he's pretty, pretty confident com- in that. And so, did he did he win the battle online of playing the dozens with one uh Piotr Jan? No, he did not. He did not do that. But did he show me something BC that makes me even more hype for December 12th? Yes, he did. He yeah,
2: absolutely yeah, did th- do that.
1: He did. He did. And and obviously, you know, that only means so much. It's what happens in the cage, although I do get down for this kind of SJW stuff. Uh You know, I think we could see we could see uh, a pinball match here. We could see five rounds of just scrapping, standing, rolling like this. This could be a a special fight, Luke, and I I really don't know yet who's going to win. And I love that. I love that because, Luke, you did not expect Aljo to do that to Corey Sanhagen the way he did. None of us did. So I'm glad Aljo didn't get passed over. Uh, whoever wins this is going to have plenty of big names knocking on their door. That's what we love about the 135 division at the moment. Hey, Luke, let's transition away from uh, social justice since you've been painted uh, very often as a, uh, as a SJW left warrior, Luke. I'm yeah, sure. by, by right. fucking morons, but yes. yes. Okay, okay, that's fair. That's fair. Um, you know, uh, let's go on over to our deep dive of the week, Luke. And it surrounds the whole idea of champ champ status. And if Dana White's words from last Saturday night are true, we will be seeing Israel Adesanya, your middleweight champion, in his next fight, moving up to face Jan blahovic champ versus champ at 205. We just happen to have Corey Anderson this week on Morning Combat. You remember he just got knocked out by blahovic in a fight that could have gotten him one step closer to a title shot. I asked his reaction to UFC booking it this way. Can we play I don't the know audio. how close to you that you've been following it since you left the UFC, but the division you left has gone through upheaval. John Jones gives up the belt. Jan Blahowitz the guy you just fought, wins it. Now Dana White's saying Israel Adesanya is going to move
2: up and fight Blachowicz.
1: Uh Does this interest that's you at all? Are you interested man. to see how it plays out, or, or is it all behind you now?
2: One thing I see from that is I'm one of nah, the right. this time. and other than that just is I left for the right reason, because it's a lot of other guys in the 205 division right now that could be fighting for that belt. But the fact that they're going to put the 185 or going to have any fights at 205, the fight for the title is about it's about making money. They're not in it for who's the best mixed martial artist. They're in it for what's gonna make us the most money. As for I feel Bellator is who is the best fighter in that weight class? You know, they just had Musasi and Lima fight, but that was for the intern belt and both of those guys of champ, and they were or Musasi was a champ, but he lost to the former champ. Wow, well, my brother and just told me the podcast kind of beat was great. The who's who and everybody already? And there was really nobody else wow. at eighty five. You know, the eighty five yeah. division Bellator. and everything else. There hasn't been anybody to solidify like, oh, I deserve the next title shot yet. But as for one seventy, there is you got Michael Van de Page, you got Lorenz Larkin, you got all these different guys at seventy, but at eighty five it's kinda like you got Musasi. And it's like, okay, where else who else? Who else is dominating? Nobody. So Lima was like, "Okay, let's give Lima a shot." But you go to 205. Well, he John just beat Dominic Ridge. You got um, the Yuri kids. You got Glover area. You got Marata, and those guys are gonna fight neck this weekend. So why would you book a title fight against the 85er to fight for a 205 belt when you got two guys fighting for title contention this week? So you make the date a day ago or four days before the title contention fight. So now these guys are gonna fight. And then where do they go? They got to wait until Jan and Izzy fight. And I guarantee you if Jan fight Jan, or Jan loses, he gets a rematch. So they got to wait and they got to go fight Yuri or Vulcan or somebody way down the list. And if they lose, you're like me. You push all the way back to the line and they're going to have to start over and they get frustrated. And that was kind of like, I'm going to go somewhere where it's I get my worth. And it's not so much of a politic game. You win, you move up. I love it. I love
1: it. Looking forward to seeing your debut Thursday night, 7 Eastern, CBS Sports Network, when you take on the hard hitting legend, Melvin Manhoof. Corey Anderson, it's been a pleasure, sir. Wish you the best of luck on this new change. Thank you, sir. Well, Luke, you heard uh, Corey Anderson's response there, basically saying UFC is, you know, playing favorites, trying to make stars. Obviously, we know both of our stances. It's their rankings, they can do whatever they want, they don't need to respect it. But, Luke, I wanted to deep dive with you this week on the whole idea of Champ Champ. Does it still matter whether you're two-division champion on your resume separately, like a BJ Penn or a Randy Couture did, or whether you're simultaneous, which we've seen to different degrees in recent year? Um, what, what's the value of it? Does it still hold value? Is Izzy deserving of this opportunity right now? How do you surmise what we could be heading to next if we get Adesanya Blahowitz? Well,
0: every time we get to a situation where we have another champ champ and another champ champ, you know, I'm not gonna say it automatically devalues what it means to be champ champ, It's still A something special and B, you know, when Amanda Nunez became champ champ, I don't think it devalued what it meant. I mean I think her adding herself to the list of it almost made it, you know, uh, even greater by, by some kind of reflection and inclusion of her inside the club. So you know you mm-hmm. want to be careful about saying it automatically devalues it, but there is something to be said that if you know if you have one champ champ in the history of or an organization versus a hundred, uh, it doesn't mean as much that if a hundred people got to a, a certain milestone versus one that you know it was certainly a little bit easier to do the latter than the former. So I would say that you're right. First things first, you have to understand it's like oh they manipulate the rankings to make stars, guys. This is how the sausage is made. This is why the rankings are not independent. This is why the rankings aren't done by the MMAJA. They're not done by the Associated Press. They're not done by anybody else. They're done by them. And, you know, I don't think that they're you know nefariously, underhandedly, be, you know, cooking up schemes, BC, like Gargamel trying to catch a bunch of Smurfs, but they're going to do things that are – I said it on Rogan's podcast. They're a business. And if they're in control of certain things within their business, they're going to do it in general, not every time, but in general to maximize their business goals and potential. And so the rankings serve as part of that in some kind of way. Now, as it relates to becoming a champ champ and what it all means, yes, you know, if a billion people get it, it doesn't mean as much. It will at some point become, I think, less this very rare club that people eventually reach and more it will become a bit of a requirement not that you have to have both at the same time, per se, but that when we have these discussions about greatest of all time and blah, 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 you know, the folks who um, had two titles versus who didn't, it's already been one of the dividing lines between the Silvas and the GSPs and the Johnsons versus, well, GSP got one, but for the longest, you know, it wasn't the case, and then everybody else, that, and, and, and Jones, too. It's a shifting paradigm of greatness. You see, you and I came up in MMA when you know, getting a belt and then accepting every challenger as you stood a post was considered to be the most incredible achievement that you could do. The longer you could do that, the better it was. And I would still say that I think that that is harder. I think that's the hardest thing you can do because it is possible on a given night to just be better than somebody else or to just have a favorable matchup or – You know, whatever. It's easy to go up and beat—not easy, but it's easier. Excuse me. Be very careful about that. It's easier to go up one time to lightweight and beat Eddie Alvarez than it is to beat Eddie Alvarez and say, "Okay, every one of you now come get a shot." It doesn't. It doesn't. One is significantly more difficult than the other. But with having two belts like that, it's like carrying two heads of two rivals into you know uh, as as a trophy. It just seems like it's more. And, and so it's, it's a little bit more showy. It's a little bit flashier. It sounds cooler. Uh, and I think it's the future demarcation line of greatness uh, as our shifting criteria move in that direction. And UFC simply willing to take more liberty- liberties with guys jumping weight classes. It's inevitable. But there's
1: a problem with the bastardization. And, I, and this is, almost sounds reverse in saying it, but when your only two division champions used to be Randy Couture and BJ Penn, There was an aura surrounding that in my mind, Luke. Tell me if I'm wrong, because under that system of how they did it, you had to essentially already establish yourself as a legit UFC champion, at some point lose, but then reinvent yourself in a new division, specifically Randy, right? And it was sort of like, okay, here's someone who's so great. They did it in two different weight classes at two different times. Now off the top of my head, I'm not remembering how many, you know, qualifying fights each one had in the next weight class but uh, certainly when you're allowing more people the opportunity to do it uh like we see nowadays with the idea of champ champ you're, you're bastardizing it and i think it used to be you had to be pretty damn established you couldn't just jump from one division to the other and get the title shot on day one do you feel like especially given the bastardization that it's it's almost more, and I want to say it's almost more impressive to do it the GSP way because he did it in two separate stretches and he came back in a new weight class where he hadn't proven himself. Now even under that though, there's an issue. GSP came back and was put right into the title shot. Against the guy who in in Bisping, who was kind of an accidental champion late in his career, although I'm not saying he's not championship worthy, and wasn't necessarily fighting the top contenders at that moment. he had a he had a gimme against old Dan Hendo, even though it didn't look like a gimme in the cage. And look, this was the best case scenario for for GSP to do it but he pulled it off. Do you think the old-school way of being a champ in separate divisions at separate times is more impressive than just saying, hey, Henry Cejudo's looking like he could be a star. Let's give him a second chance right now to, to double down on that. I mean, I here's, here's how you had to do, to do it before. before.
0: They, they just, just wouldn't, wouldn't let you have those opportunities. So, for, for example, you mentioned St. Pierre. St. Pierre was the welterweight champion, champion for you know, you know, the Hughes and, uh, and, and the Sarah the fights, fights and there was a couple interruptions the along way. the way. But, okay. okay, basically he was champion for a long time gives the belt back, goes on sabbatical, comes back in a different weight class one time, wins it, and gives it up, right? So he didn't, didn't, uh, there was a sort of break in between. Well, that's exactly what happened with Randy Couture. That's exactly what happened with BJ Penn. BJ Penn beats Matt Hughes uh, at 170, and then I think left the organization, went on to K1, and blah, 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 and then when he came back, to the, the UFC. I think he fought at 174 time. time. He had the fight with St. Pierre. But basically, it wasn't until he went to 155 where he was then able to go and capture the belt, beating uh, Joe Dave Stevenson, Stevenson and Sean Shirk and blah, 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 the, the whole story there, okay? So he, he, you had, had to have these breaks where there was things that happened. You had to leave a division, take time off for whatever it was, and then come back. Randy Couture, same thing. Loses Josh to Josh Barnett, goes and competes in the rings, the comes back. Uh, wins the light heavyweight title, holds it for a time, loses it, retires, then comes back after a whole year, blah, blah, off, and then was beat Tim Sylvia. So you had these breaks where you know, there was just no, if you were the champion, it was just assumed whoever was next in line, that was the guy you were going to fight. This idea that you could even argue with the UFC and say, hey, you should put me up against whoever it was, either the weight class above or below. They wouldn't even entertain it. Now they entertain it. Is it the Conor effect? Him being, being the, the first one to hold it simultaneously, probably uh, that is something. There probably isn't. Except for that, that I, I think, think I, I'll, I'll, I'll let you go, go to it. it. I'll, I'll just say this. I think he probably changed the imagination and possibilities of what was possible. They want to really capture the things that Conor McGregor could do for him. And once he knocked down that wall, BC, as you know as, I, as well as I do, that wall became a lot more permeable for things to come and go between them.
1: I think it changed because of Connor, but for a different reason than you're saying. When you look back at the history, it was Penn and it was Randy. And then, what, Penn tried to become the first champ champ in the GSP rematch, correct? He lost in a one-sided fight, kind of, you know, quit on his stool, so to speak, was beaten up. And collect me if I'm wrong, I believe after that point, Dana publicly didn't love the idea at all of two champions facing each other. He didn't, And I think it's because of that. You I think heard, that's right. Think right. You know, yeah, you J- might J- be right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't think BJ was the same to a certain degree after that loss. It, it makes your champion look bad if they move up and they don't do it and they come back down to the division to a degree. Remember, we were thought we were getting Aldo against Pettis, champ versus champ, and Dana was heavily against that. I think it changed when Connor Starr was so big. They gave him that chance to do it. He did it amazingly in his first lightweight fight, and then he just walked away. So it wasn't necessarily in my mind of like Connor opened the door. I think the gap of not having Connor when he walked away changed Dana's hand. Do you remember 2017 as a UFC journalist, Luke? It was fresh off the biggest year in company history. The company had sold. The new owners wanted to prove that they can keep everything up. The problem was Ronda retired. Connor didn't fight at all. Brock is gone. And they had a lot of trouble in 2017 finding legitimate headliners. I remember writing and talking about it every month. I think that's when it was the idea of, like, we need to kind of speed this up. We need to kind of make that next crossover star. Now, you can argue, and you did on Rogan, effectively, that some of the change in the pay-per-view structures, including the ESPN deal and that flat rate that we believe ESPN pays UFC for each pay-per-view, has taken away the leverage of the – of the quote-unquote pay-per-view stars, taking away some of Connor's leverage, but I feel like that year in 2017, and maybe I'm wrong, kicked open the door to the idea. Luke, even though Henry Cejudo went on to prove to us how great he is, and he's great. At the time that he was allowed to face Dillashaw to become, you know, I didn't think he he, I'm sorry, at the time he was allowed to, to to face Marais to become a champion, I didn't think he had earned that right. To me, at that point, there was something sacred to that. You either earned it through being a legend in your one division for so long that you've cleaned it out. There's no obvious fight for you. And really the next big thing is, you know what? You're so great here. Let's see if you can do it in the next division. Or you're just a once in a generation star, like a Connor, where you're like, this breaks all the rules. He's willing to do it. It breaks all the rules. Let's do it. I feel like that's where it's changed. And now it's to the point, Luke, where, even though Adesanya has those factors where I think he breaks the rules. I think he's a special all-time great talent. I think his star is about to go global worldwide on a monster level. And, oh, by the way, I think he could defeat Blahowitz. I think if he wants to make the, the dream of heavyweight happen, who knows? We, he's done it before in, ki- in kickboxing. So he kind of breaks those rules to begin with. Yet at that same time, the bastardization of it in the past three years doesn't make this feel as big as it could or should be. When I heard Dana say that, I was like, oh, sh- oh shit, really? I mean, yeah, I doesn't make sense. But, but, I mean, isn't, that, cool. isn't that also just a – I, I hear what you're, you're saying, saying, like, wow, wow, this guy could can capture, capture – and, and and it's, it's not
0: 10 pounds apart, it's 20 pounds, pounds apart. 185 to 205 pounds. pounds. It's a huge, monstrous, monstrous jump. jump. I mean, I mean that's, that's almost, almost like four, four weight classes in boxing. boxing. I mean, not, not quite, but something pretty close to it. So you're talking about a massive, massive leap – and that by itself should mean a whole lot, and by itself, it doesn't. Because I was going to counter with, well, what if it was, was John Jones? Jones? Well, then. I mean, for all the marbles, that would be amazing, but that's also because, to your point, John brings a lot of different pieces to the puzzle there. He brings the undefeated record, not, you know, the Matt Hamill fight, but basically undefeated record. He brings this aura of invincibility. He's the best light like, heavyweight of all time, and on and on and on. So you'd be capturing the two titles, plus the things that aren't really codified with the belt, that aren't enshrined with some kind of trophy, that, what I mentioned, his status as a, a light heavyweight, his status as an all-time great, all of that would have made the fight absolutely huge, but you're right. I, actually, I will concede the point. Um, just the moving up and capturing the second belt, despite the gap in weight, it's not nothing, but it's not what you would think it would be, given how difficult the challenge is. And to your point, Jan Lulovic is tough. You know, this is not a gimme fight by any stretch of the imagination, so um it's an an interesting situation situation we live in it's been watered down down. there's There's no doubt about it it. but But this is is sort of the world world that we live in these days
1: days. all right let's let's talk about how we maybe could fix i don't fix it is the right word look the question that we wanted to hit off the top was is is it a promoter's responsibility to respect their own rankings i think we can pass that we both agree it's it's this is an entertainment thing at the end of the day ufc puts out these kind of bs rankings for the most part they don't follow it anyway They can do whatever they want. It's their sandbox. There's no alphabet organization. Whatever, I think we're past that. But my biggest issue outside of giving too many people the chance in recent years to hold them simultaneously. Look, there's a much different responsibility when you're a champ champ compared to just being, I'm a former champion in that division, and now I've moved on and won one in this division, is the idea that UFC has picked and choose, Luke, who gets to be stripped of them and when. I mean, Connor held on to for a while but and then it was like dc no uh john's coming back you're stripped of this oh amanda there's no one really else to keep the belts you can defend both if you want do you think there should be ruling set in either either a rule that says you can't go for the second title unless you've cleaned out your division or you can't go for that second title unless you win a number one contender interim bout first or do you think the rule should be if you do become a champ champ You gotta defend both titles once per year. And if you can't, you're stripped. And we're not gonna strip who we want to because there's this other popular fighter coming up. We're gonna make the rules and stick with the rules. Am I being a stickler to try? Like, I wanna. Look, I like things like the GOAT debate. It matters to me. People think it's all stupid. Can we just put everybody in the Hall of Fame? No, it matters to me who's at that table and how we separate it a lot of the times is. Well, GSP did win a second title in the second weight class. We, sep, we, we make this matter. So can UFC help us make this matter?
0: I would say this. I, I, first of all, like, like I, said on, I Rogan, said on Rogan, I think there should be a union that helps decide all these things, things right? What's in the fighters' interest along with the, with the, with the organization, organization that should get together and figure out a, out a plan that is mutually it's beneficial? To that, that end, I would say even if I'm, I'm the fighter, fighter, I would, would want, want to be careful about putting too many rules in place. People like to bitch about the matchmaker model.
2: But the matchmaker models, the reason why people hate it is also the reason why it's very successful. Which is to say, the reason why folks hate it is because you're kind of on
0: the promoter's whim. And for those reasons, they can just make it up as they go. And sometimes they make it up in a way that really doesn't serve as the fighter or sometimes even the fan or a certain kind of fan anyway. But that same flexibility... Is, is what really allows them to do things that they ordinarily would not be allowed to do because of any kind of rule that could be in place. Hey, should you have three title defenses, or are we just going to give it to you right, right away? Right? And, and then it, it sort of serves a certain purpose. If you're Conor McGregor, you go, right go right from, from Jose Aldo, boom, to, San from San from Aldo, boom, to Rafael dos Anjos, and then, of course, it becomes Eddie Alvarez down the line. Right away, boom. If there had been a rule in place, you probably never would have seen it. I mean, Conor even made 145 three more times. God only knows. So, so what, what I, would I would say is I do think there probably should be some real basic parameters. If you don't defend the title within the calendar year and you're not sitting out due an injury for anything longer than three months or something, you, know, you know, should you have to give, to give it up. It up. Uh, if yeah. you end up being a champ champ, the first time you can't defend it on a normal schedule, you've got to give one of them up.
2: But other than that, I would not want to put it in any mandatory minimums. I would not want to put it in any kind of rules about... You know, you you can't can't go up another weight class for 90 days or something.
0: Let that flexibility be annoying because on the other end, we see when you play your cards right and there are some basic, basic protections for the rest of the division because you have to look out for them too. Let's let that flexibility work for us as well.
1: It's interesting. So when we look back at Anderson Silva, and we've been talking about his legacy, of course, with his maybe last UFC fight last Saturday, he never got that chance because it came during that period where Dana wasn't big on it. And if you look back, I, I think the big lament for for Anderson in a lot of ways is we never got the GSP super fight with a guy smaller in weight moving up, and we never got the John Jones fight with Anderson moving up. It just never seemed a window where it made a ton of sense. Although I think, you know, I think our our, our knee jerk of oh John Jones would have killed him. I'm not sure, dude. I thought. So, I thought Silva was going to get killed by Adesanya, and you still saw that Anderson had it. But what UFC did do, Luke, was let Anderson Silva move up for sort of fun one-offs, either for strategic purposes like the James Irvin fight or just, hey, let's put him in there with Forrest Griffin. Uh, they were non-title bouts. There wasn't an expectation that he would get a title shot after. Do you like that model? Is there room for that model to I, think, I, I think? I think
0: that's, that's one, one of the, the most underexplored, underexplored opportunities. opportunities. There's a lot of ways where you can have somebody, a famous fighter, go up a weight class, and you can do it as a testing waters moment. You can do it as a sort of a fun. I mean, guys find themselves like Rich Franklin in situations where they can go 185, 205, and it doesn't have to be because you can't beat necessarily the best guy in front of you. I mean, I'm just sort of pointing out that you have a lot of room to play with. But, But you know, know, this Anderson Silva-Force Griffin Griffin thing, it just worked out really, really well. And so, yes, are there going to be probably an equal or semi-equal number of times where it doesn't necessarily go go that way and you have to say, okay, well, that experiment failed? failed. Sure. But, But, I mean, mean, you're you're talking talking about making some of the most iconic potential potential fights in MMA history, right? And it's no title on the line. It was just what it was. And so I really feel like we don't play with that enough, especially down at the 125s and the 35s and the 45s and the 55s where you're just 10 pounds apart and you can really begin to do something kind of interesting. I don't like the idea, idea that Henry Cejudo won the title at 135, defended it against Dominic Cruz, retired. It's like, I want to fight Volkanovski next. But if there was a way to see that fight with Volkanovski not having to worry about those responsibilities against Brian Ortega... I'm not not saying saying it's, like, like the the most fun fight, but but is there a curious part of me, if there was, like, a way to make it that that we could could even try? Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't mind, you know, kicking the tires on something like that. Finding, again, Again, they have to be very, very, you know, again, again, using using that matchmaker matchmaker model, model, just because because you have have the flexibility doesn't mean you exercise it. But when you have it and when the time is right and if there's an interesting way to do it, yeah, why not? John Jones versus Francis Ngannou, if it's for the title, even better. Would, would you, you tell, tell me you wouldn't watch it, watch it if it wasn't for one? Of course, course you would watch it. So there's an opportunity there. there.
1: Yeah, it's all it's all pretty interesting. Our notes tell us that eight people have had the chance to become champ champs. Only four have done it successfully. Uh, BJ lost that one. TJ Dillashaw lost that chance against Cejudo. I'm struggling to think of the others at the moment. I know there were people who lost Luke chances to become two division champions, right? Like Durandami against Nunes, Holm against Nunes. But even in those situations, did those fighters in the second division win enough fights to make their attempt at becoming even a two division champion worth it? No. In a lot of cases, especially Holly Holmes, it was, well, you're the biggest name available and you're probably the best of the group. So let's just kind of break all rules for the sake of matchmaking. Again, uh, they can do that. So let's look at this specific case, Adesanya and Blohowitz. I think it's actually fair to the middleweight division if Adesanya does this. Has Israel cleared cleaned out this current group? Outside of wanting to see the Whitaker rematch, I would say yes. Would you agree?
0: Um, Cleaned, cleaned out. out. Ibra...
1: I mean, is there anybody knocking that you're like? I mean, air didn't win. Is there anybody knocking that you're like, man, that guy should get the crack first before I see Izzy try the, this? There
0: yeah. is. Again, if Canada had won, would that would have been the obvious choice, choice but he, he didn't, didn't, so it's not Whitaker. No, no, there is, is nobody, nobody that's, that's banging, banging down the door, door that you have to answer it for, right? I don't hate I don't, that. I don't I'll put that at the same level as cleaning out. I think it's a little bit different.
1: All right, then let's look at the 205 element. This is not a deep division at the moment. Is this fair to the people in the rankings below Jan Blachowicz, who's in some ways a surprise champion? And and Luke, the hell, how the hell does John Jones fit into this equation?
2: Well, that's the interesting part. I mean, I don't know how John
0: fits, John fits in because is he, he going to come back down if he wins? How does that derail, derail everything at heavyweight? heavyweight? Is, is he, he going to wait for Adesanya uh, uh, to then, then go to heavyweight? heavyweight, which by the way he has previewed as a very real and legitimate possibility he has fought as high as heavyweight in other combative sports so um, that is something that could happen um, yeah it is certainly unfair I think to the other contenders at light heavyweight especially the winner of this Teixeira and Santos fight Santos has a win over Blahovich. now granted it would only be one win back since being off but if you've got a win over the champion by the way a stoppage win and the guy you've be, to, get to get there, in this case it would be Glover Teixeira, is a guy who, if, by the way, if he wins it, he would be your number one contender by a country mile. So, so you're beating a guy who really earned it. You can sort of fudge it and understand, yes, that's true. But the thing about Santos is he's been off for a while. Who knows how he's going to look. Uh, in the case of Teixeira, he already had a chance. He's a perennial contender. contender. But, you know, do you know, really kind of see him as some, some kind of long longevity case For the belt holder, no, you don't. And then you get this exciting guy at at 185 pounds who's undefeated undefeated and looks like he's going to be the next big big thing thing in the sport. It's It's just just the way shit goes. Again, Again, it's it's the the flexibility of the matchmaker. matchmaker. We're going to service uh, certain fans and And the the consumer, consumer, in in this particular case, at the expense of, not a huge expense per se, but at the expense of guys who might be a little bit more uh, or even a lot more in front uh than than the uh, person who's who's getting the opportunity but you you have have to understand understand, when you begin begin to make that those rigid calls calls, i've I've seen i've seen promotions try to do the thing where it's like like, we're going to be pro pro fighter and and if you're the number one contender you you get fights and what you you end end up seeing is is, a lot of times great fights don't get made by virtue of the rigidity be annoyed by the flexibility but realize that's better than missing out on other opportunities
1: all right. And to close, I did agree with Corey Anderson's point on the one part where it does take away the value and interest. I do have in Saturday's Maheta Glover to share fight, which sure. is a great fight on paper. I love the idea that if either one comes out with my knockout, they just secured a title shot. Oh, no, they didn't. So, look, you do have to question why that was announced last Saturday by Dana in a very unofficial manner. I know Izzy was in Vegas. I'm sure they had power talks and contract developments, but it would seem like you would want to leave that door open if Tiago Santos comes out, drills a hole through him, and calls out uh, you know, Blahowicz that you know, maybe you want to go that way. It's also interesting to say that if Izzy and John do fight, and you're the UFC... Do you want it at 205 or do you want it at heavyweight? Who do you want to have the title coming in? Are you saving this for the idea that if Izzy becomes a two-division champion and fights at 205 and John moves up and wins the heavyweight title, that when they do fight and meet in Raiders Stadium one day in front of 80,000 people, that there's two titles on the line at, at heavyweight. So I don't know, Luke. I, there's there's different ways to look at it and think about it. But if Izzy's twenty twenty one. Looks like Jan Blahoitz for the light heavyweight title and John Jones later in the year for whatever. Good God, Luke. Um, You know, I've said it before. I'll say it right now. Izzy had one of the four or five best calendar years, I think, ever in 2019. We had this debate about, hey, if Gaethje beat Habib, would he have the best year ever in UFC history? Izzy's 2019, I think, is in that discussion, and he got robbed by pretty much all of you MMA media members out there who went with Masvidal. Jorge had a great year. I'm sorry it wasn't better than Izzy's. Luke, Izzy could win fighter of the year this year because it's a weird year. If he does that next year, he's your pound-for-pound king, your biggest star in the whole sport, Mm. and he would have had authored a two, three, four, five year run in UFC. That's just absurd, Luke, and that's what gets me excited about breaking all the rules because there are special people along the way. Connor being one of them, right? When Connor was talking about moving up and fighting Woodley for a third belt, I was like, freaking do it, dude. I don't know what, what this guy's not capable of. Izzy's in line, Luke, to become to become the goal. I'm serious. If he, can, if he can run the distance, run the gamut on this, they are setting him up to knock down all the pins if he can do it.
0: It's possible. I mean, I'll just end on this. I'll, I'll say, say two, two things. things. One, whatever, whatever you're, you're giving, giving up an, an interest on Glover, Glover and, and- – uh, Tiago Santos. It wasn't a huge fight to begin with. It's, it's going to air probably on ESPN Plus. Maybe it, it airs on, ESPN, it it airs on ESPN, ESPN, but you know, you know whatever, whatever you're, you're giving up an interest and intrigue there, you're going to make up, up on the other end. end. If Adesanya ends up getting the, 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 the second belt, so that's, so that's the first thing I'd say. And I think, think the second thing I'd say is the UFC has historically been good about being rule breakers, right? About signing the occasional James Tony and then going back to normal. Signing the occasional CM Punk and then going back to normal. The key to breaking the rules is if you do it infrequently enough. You can, you can just, just keep, keep on doing, doing it. it. So, so can you, you quibble, quibble with the line and say, have they, they done it too much this direction? direction? Have, have they, they devalued it this direction? direction? Sure, you can. But in but general, their ability to get, get away with it is a function of how, how rare it's, it's been. been. So, so, let's, let's, monitor it's been. so let's, let's monitor and see how things go. go. But to your, but your point, know, they've broken enough rules here. They might break enough for Izzy for Izzy to break all of the records. We'll have to see.
1: Indeed, Luke. Indeed. I got one more segment for you today. You ready for this, Luke? Yes, hurry up because I have to go to the doctor. Oh, wow. Wow. You're going to get the. Uh, you're going to get the. Wow. Yeah, sorry. Wrong sound effect. You're going to get that prostate tickled? No, no I, think I, think I, I, think I think I have, I have AIDS. AIDS.
0: Oh, all right.
1: All right. <laughs> no, I don't, know, I don't have AIDS. I don't know what I have hey,
0: AIDS. Hey,
1: every week, if you're new to this, we've broken this off from Have You Seen This Shit. This is the best fan art, fan merch pics, whatever you got. Our fans are weirdos, and we love to celebrate them. So let's start off right here. Luke, you know Callis Matisse of Denmark sent us the greatest MK theme song of all time, but there's a new number one contender he is at wicked white on instagram that's w-i-q-e-d let's hear the song bro rise and shine dogs
0: morning combat, the number one source to get your combat sports news at, with big Bass, Brian Campbell and Luke Thomas, he's staying frosty, going tip to tip, Have you seen your shit, either MMA or the sport of boxing, it's an like up for discussion, Carl Ella mustard for Rick Richardson, we either them back or at the week ahead, it's fatality.
2: Fatality.
1: Uh, Luke, uh, I think we've screwed up production-wise. You were n- unable to hear that. Yes, yes I, I
0: heard, heard not, not a word of that, that not, not a note. note.
1: It was pretty fantastic, though. I, I mean, is <laughs> it better than Callie Matisse's? No, but it's really good. And, uh, Luke, I'll play you that. I'll send it to you offline. Maybe you'll be able to hear it. All, All right. right. Sounds good. Hey, look, this is from at Rays Muse on Instagram. Here's a little Morning Combat Star Wars animation, Luke, Given our history together. Luke.
0: All right, what? shut up. Andor, and Holy shit
2: balls.
1: <laughs> Man, you are you got you got a hot day. You ready for this? You're Carol we, Shelby, along
0: with my trusty steed and Padawan. This is Brian Campbell. About
1: Padawan, but you know, I, right. I like to start off on an equal plane here. You can be
0: like Anakin Skywalker. You can be on the Jedi Council, but you don't get the title. Of and Master. I will turn
1: on you just like him. All right, Luke. Uh, That's very Anthony good. K. Anthony Ray Jimenez at Ray's Muse. That's. Well, we okay. got an echo here. Uh, yeah, we got rid of the, the echo of there, Gaff. Gaff. Yeah. Are we good on the echo. Thank I don't you. Know. Sorry. All right, uh, Luke. That's fantastic. T- Luke, if we put our tips together, we can do anything. We can move mountains. All right, bro. Dude,
0: Dude why, why are, are people, people asking, asking us to, us to touch, touch dicks? dicks? It's, it's the, the weirdest, weirdest thing, thing ever. ever. We're, We're never, never going, going to do, do that. But okay.
1: okay. No, I'm not into that. All right, let's let's bring back on Scott Rizzo. He's been active lately. Uh, Scott underscore M underscore Rizzo. He's got an MK-inspired movie poster here, Luke, of uh, Wayne's World. MK's World, bro. Pretty,
0: pretty good. good. That's, That's pretty, pretty good. good. My, my head, head is somehow buried, buried into my chest, chest, but other than that, that pretty, pretty good. good.
1: Yeah, it's party time. It's, it's excellent. Well done there. Uh, Forrest from Pittsburgh has sent in a WWE Photoshop <laughs> here, Luke. That's me <laughs> as the rock. <laughs> Why, Why am I, I feeding Jay a sock? <laughs> You're feeding the big show uh, Socko in, uh, with the mandible claw. Do I look like I've been working out with a homeless man? A minor inconvenience. All right, Luke. Hey, our people, they're funny. Uh, this is from uh, Dickles on Instagram. Oh, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> This is brilliant. Get hard indeed, right? Look, look at, at that. that. I, I look gr- terrible with cornrows. Jesus. Tip to tip. Uh, Dick Ols also also uh, sent us uh, I'm, I'm trying to understand this. Do we have another Dick Ols to show? Yes. Yes. Uh, that's me and Superbad drawing dicks, Luke. <laughs> I couldn't touch the pen to a piece of paper without it drawing the shape of it. Luke Penis. Luke, I've never seen Superbad so I don't get this joke. Do you? Have, have you, you seen
0: the Spinal Tap like, like mockumentary? mockumentary. On Netflix, Netflix, called like, like an, American, an American, I don't know what it's called, called, like American, American story or an American. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. With the it. guy who, like, who drew all the dicks on all the cars.
1: Yes, yes, yes. Fantastic. Yes, yes you. you. All right. Uh, apparently, this is Dickles' finest hour here, Luke, because he's got a little Luke Nukem action coming out here, and this is brilliant.
0: You can, you can lie, lie to your mama. mama. You, you can, can lie to your, can you lie to your race. But you, you can't, can't lie, lie to nobody. nobody. With, with that, that cold steel, steel in your face. face bro. bro, I've, I've never, never looked, looked so cool, cool in my
1: life. My life. Send, Send that, that shit to Luke me, man. Newcomb. Luke Newcomb with the drive-by trucker lyrics. Love it. Uh, that is Stickles. amazing. Uh, final art of the week, I believe. <laughs> oh, <yeah. The> R.I.P. <laughs> L.B.G. Indeed, Luke. Yes. I have, yeah. I yeah. have I
0: nice, nice earnings, earrings, BC. I think it, think it deserves, deserves to, to be noted. Be noted.
1: Uh, we got one more. Uh, we got to end with this one. It's from the inconsolable cat who says, dear donks, the real stars of the show are Mocha and Reggie Jackson. I loved when you showed them on the show. If only we could have had them go tip to tip. Love what's happening with the show. I even watched an effing boxing match thanks to BC's enthused hyping. Meows to you with gratitude. Wow. Shout out to the inconsolable cat, Luke. That's brilliant. Dude, you, you got to
0: send, send me the Duke, Duke Nukem Nuke one. Morning. You got to send me this. It's Moco. Not Moka. It's Moco, which, which is booger. booger. And, and that, that is an amazing, amazing booger. piece booger. of artwork. Look, I got to tell you. you that, that, that might be the best one. That might be the best one.
1: Did you see the name, too? Morning Comcat.
0: Wow. She would be be like Morning morning Tomcat would be a little bit better. But okay. Still pretty
1: good. Reggie Jackson would send Booger to hell. Booger got picked up off the streets. streets. He He would end end your cat's cat's life fast. (laughs) All right, Luke. That's all the party tricks I've got for Wednesday. But uh, thank you for joining me. Uh, If Uh, if
0: you you want to send send those, those please do, do. Obviously, you you can can follow us all on social media. media. Me Me and Brian, we're on the Twitters. We're on the Instagrams. Instagrams, And, of course, Morning Combat is all over the socials as well. Same name for everything. Morning Combat on Twitter, Morning Combat on Insta, and then Morning Combat on YouTube. So follow, like, subscribe, hit that whole shit. And if you want to send Brian stuff, you can DM him or Morning Combat at gmail.com. Morningcombat at gmail.com, all one word. You can see it on the screen right there. Send Send us us whatever whatever you need to, but for fan fan art submissions, submissions, that's that's the place. Uh, As As always, if you want to watch Showtime, you certainly can. Showtime.com, 30-day free trial. you like it, you you can keep it. If not, pound sand. Certainly up up to you. If you You want to get some MK merch, you go to uh, store.show.com. And uh, and anything else, BC, before I go go and see the old doctor?
1: Uh, Friday, we'll be back. We'll be previewing the weekend. We got a UFC card. We got some decent boxing. Also, don't forget Saturday night, that Showtime replay. Gervonta Davis, Leo Santa Cruz, the pay-per-view on regular Showtime. 30 days, free trial, pound yourself in the sand hole, whatever you got to do. Check out Luke if you haven't yet on the Joe Rogan podcast. Three and a half hours. Good Lord, Luke.
0: It's a long time, and, and the, the live chat, chat is back, back tomorrow. I'll put I'll up a thread, thread for questions in the community, community tab for, for here at Morning, Morning combat's, combat's site. site. So, so youtube.com slash Morning there's, there's a community, community tab. I'll put a, a, a list of questions, questions there. there. Okay? okay? All right. All right so, so, big, big things thanks, Eric. Uh, well, say again? again?
1: Or is it back? We're going to have to wait and see. Yeah, or is it? it. I mean, we, we
0: shall, shall see. It's planned. it's planned. It's planned to be back, back but the yeah, hell knows. All right, for Malka, for Showtime, CBS Sports, Sports that's, that's Brian. Brian. I'm Luke. We'll be back. Uh, I'll be, I'll be back, back tomorrow, show on Friday. And until, until next time, may all the games be loyal. Oil.